of a modern man. Still no man's to snow from the deserts in the hottest sand. Welcome to the Modern Man podcast. Um, uh, the idea is that we speak to some really interesting guys. Um, and so far, we haven't disappointed. The idea is to find out a little bit more about what it means to be a man in uh, this day and age and uh, uh, different areas and, and walks of life that, that expresses itself and the good stuff and, and some of the bad. But mainly we're trying to, um, we're trying to inspire positive masculinity is the is the catchphrase for the podcast today i have a guy who's on a very similar journey to myself we've got a lot of shared values for, for, on the face of it and um he's a, he's a little bit further along the line than, than i am w- with it all and this is uh henry johnston uh from the inner warrior program and he's got a similar facebook group to ours called men helping men henry introduce yourself buddy well hello fidel it oh is amazing God, that voice Sorry. <laughs> I know. It's absolutely fine. Uh, so I'm, I'm Henry Johnston. I'm a men's coach. Uh, I fully support the notion that men are responsible for elevating masculinity beyond shame and beyond stigma to become truly fearless, beautiful, courageous men. I love that, man. We are responsible. Um, we're just going to jump on right in and, and just have a chat, really. Yeah, man. I, I think... One of the things that got got me to this point was the realization that um, that my mum my mum's was is a feminist and I've, I've been surrounded by lots of really powerful women and and I just noticed the way that over our generation gender equality the gap has closed it's not there yet but it has closed and the mm. difference between men and women was that, that um, and and some of the reasons I think is problems facing masculinity at the moment is that women spoke about how it affected them the whole way through this journey there were women's groups and they kind of just generally got together and held discussions about um how it affected them and how it, how it was how it was going to make them better and, and the things that, that made it worse for them and how they can fix it and how they can uh, bring about these the uh, the the modern era for for women um and we just didn't do that as blokes we just didn't do that and, and we are completely responsible for We've got no one else to blame. There's no point in, in going, oh, I don't want a feminist this or, or anything else like that. They're the reason that's taken away our masculinity, which I hear in, in, in some quarters. Um, it's absolute nonsense. We are totally in charge of, of bringing this discussion to the fore, which is what me, guys like me and you are doing, I guess. Mm. How did you get here, buddy? Um, well, it's interesting that you men- mentioned kind of the gender gap. And I think the, the, the rise of women absolutely needed to happen. Like, yeah, for sure the work needed to be done the voices yep. need to be heard and they're now at a point where you know i've always seen us as being equal and it kind of upsets me that it's it's actually had to happen yep. but i think that the emergence of the me too movement really created a panic in men of like we don't have a movement of ourselves and the only point of context of us is the me too movement which is saying that a lot of men are shits you know, yeah. And a lot of men are shits, but yes, they not are. all men are sure. shits. And that's created like this, uh, if, if we think of masculinity as like this gestalt entity, yep. it has is, it is made us rise up you know, as a response because we're, we're in crisis at the moment. And that's why you exist. That's why I exist. That's why there are voices across all camps of men promoting 
positive, healthy masculinity in a way to, to rise above. Because men for a long time have not been encouraged to express their vulnerability, their emotions. They have always been expected to push it down, to become the, uh, the, the toxic kind of protector. And I mean that by be yep. the protector, be the leader, but always ignore what's going on inside. And that's just creating death, you know. It men is. are dying men can't move beyond their shame they find it very difficult to express themselves for fear you know of being called weak you know and mm. evolutionary evolutionary <laughs> my language there that is a word. we are we are we are programmed you know to a certain extent to be those leaders to be those protectors but a dialogue has to happen about who are you as a man what kind of man do you want to define yourself as being? And that's what I do in my work. I encourage men to look inside and define themselves as they are, not yep. as how society has expected them to be. And it's a deep, introspective journey. But yep. from that, and like vulnerability, the whole dialogue around that needs to change because being vulnerable takes courage. So by its definition, mm -hmm. it is not a weakness. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a word that I've I've picked up across a lot of your stuff, your your social media and your website and stuff like that is about vulnerability, um, mm. which is an interest. It is an interesting word to use alongside masculinity, isn't it? Mm. Um, it it's it. They're almost they almost feel even to someone as as kind of experienced in this world of, that, as I am, they almost feel opposite. Do you know what I mean? um which 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 is odd uh, and it's odd looking at that with 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 my conscious mind that i still feel like that that those two words almost look look opposite yeah just talk to me about why I mean, like i said clearly it's a word that you really resonate with and it's an important word for you mm. so i mean might like vulnerability is a word that has been spread around it's become like this it's, it's in the cultural vernacular and it all comes down from people thinking it's a great word to use. So we've seen a massive influx of memes. Um, yep. I, have, I'm very, I have very many personal rants to say about memes, but what it's done <laughs> is like, alongside authenticity is you see people <laughs> reading the word, but not actually understanding what it means. And there's okay. no actionable steps. You know, it's like, be vulnerable today, own your life. It's like, well, what does that <laughs> mean? You know, so people develop... <laughs> what my coach calls a shelf esteem you know it's yeah. like having a book on vulnerability that's on your bookshelf and thinking that you are being vulnerable and you can say you are but you're actually not and vulnerability for me means being willing to open yourself up and admit something which you believe is a risk to your identity and opening it up to other people and not being afraid and owning it like i have depression yeah yep uh, recently i did a video and people see me as a leader in my field they see me as a point of authority a, a man who mentors and guides men through life so they can be their very best selves i experienced a very deep depression and i thought i gain nothing from this mm -hmm. by doing this on my own i'm going to set a standard for myself and live up to what i do and i just cried on facebook you know it got well over 2000 views yeah i wasn't ashamed of it I was like, this is me. This is the reality of me. I consider myself a masculine man, a powerful man, but I'm also flawed. Yep. So I cried. And I, I actively told men that you do not need to be ashamed of crying. We are human beings. We are in our nature conflicted. 
So why not present something which automatically conflicts with this idea of masculinity and the influx of messages that I received? And it created a ripple of change throughout the group. You know, we had well over 300 members just getting vulnerable. And do you know what came out of that? Not one person criticized them. Not one person pushed them away. Not one person told them that they were being weak or unmasculine. All yeah. I got and all our members got was like, wow. Powerful. That was courageous. Yeah. Is that what a man can be? And it's like, yeah, as soon as we own our vulnerability, when we do, as long as we hold it with confidence, confidence then it's not a risk to anyone mm. else. So they won't feel uncomfortable with it. Is that true? Let me just hold that little thought a little minute. So, I mean, sometimes other people can feel pretty uncomfortable with, with somebody who's uh, demonstrating their, their vulnerability. And I think almost that's part, part of the problem, isn't it? I think sometimes we, we worry think... about part of the thing about being a man is, is sort of, uh, you know, the, the sort of the leadership and the reason why we don't show our vulnerability is because that um it, 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 it does affect other people or it might it might affect other people and their security and our ability do, do, does that make sense yeah i think you've got to do it diligently like i'm incredibly yeah. comfortable with my emotional process right so i went on the extreme edge so i'm not suggesting that everyone start crying <laughs> yeah right because yeah. No, you, you've got to be yeah advanced you've got to have an advanced level of emotional awareness to be able to do that but to start being vulnerable like i'm a leader i run a business i'm quite happy with saying to my team that i i don't know how to do this how can you help me in doing this that's mm -hmm. a showing of vulnerability yep that's showing of like i have a clink in my armor and i know that i can't cover that up so i'm asking you for help that's vulnerability and people often ask me, like, when is it okay to cry in a relationship? It's like when you've built trust, when you know that when you show that, the person is not going to reject you. Yeah. And then you can play around with it. You know, there are levels of vulnerability, and sometimes it's just not appropriate to jump right in and start crying. To start crying. Yeah, for sure. So I had this no trust. Um, I'm, I'm kind of... <laughs> Uh, one of the things I worked for worked on recently on, on my last sort of NLP course was about um, being a little bit contentious, and it was something I've always been a bit of a, a sort of pleaser. I like people to like me, and that's been it's been a, a, a thing I've I've had for for many many years, and it stopped me from certainly in this space. It was it was holding me back from being a little bit contentious. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's really important that actually some of the subjects we we cover um, are are contentious. And we mm. have to a have faith that we're doing it for the right reasons, um, mm. and, and our values are, are involved with it. And b that the majority of people who know us and who know us well, well know me and know me well, um, know where I'm coming from. One mm. of the things, and I do a lot of it on Facebook. I'm very active on on there. It's my sort of medium of choice. And yeah. um, I put up a post uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago, that kicked off a massive discussion, which I've started doing regularly now, and it's really really cool. Did, uh, was about um it was a meme which you which you like <laughs> of, a, yes. of a man and a woman sat next to each other and he and she was like oh men need to open up and share um you know we need to men need to be able to talk and 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 this will end toxic masculinity how are you feeling 
and the guys next to her was just like well actually you know i'm feeling really vulnerable i'm, I'm feeling quite stressed and, and vulnerable at work and i'm worried about the bald spot on my hair and i was feeling my testicles the other day and i've got a... and then the next picture just showed her she disappeared Mm. Um, and it was like for me that was really actually quite powerful and I, I put that up and I just said the question was is there um, a right and a wrong time to sort of for, for a guy to um, to open up and talk and do sometimes do women is there, is there a point where women find that unattractive um, and it opened up a huge can of worms but I think what you've just said is actually right that you do it's all well and good for us to tell guys to open up and, and communicate. But if, we, if, if that happens to you once, that feeling of rejection that you feel, that kicking the balls, um, will set you back 10 paces. Do you know what I mean? Or I've, seen, I've seen it done that. So you do have to pick and choose your time, I, I believe, anyway, and make sure that you're in yeah, the right environment. I, I absolutely agree. Um, and it is really interesting because all men, won't be vulnerable and don't this is a sweeping generalization but it's based on experience from listening yep. to hundreds of men yeah they are afraid of being rejected because yep. the first time we experience rejection wherever it is is a horrible experience yep. and it invites self inquiry and it often comes yep. up with what's the what's the base reason that i got rejected it was because I dared to be myself and express what I was afraid of. And this is the power of men's groups. I've yes. got a guy who I coach who recently shared his deepest and darkest secret. And he said, I've never shared this with women. And I said, well, share it in the group. Share it with me. Get used to sharing it yeah. so that you can then take responsibility for it and be heard. And that sets up a, a process which allows our men to share it, not be ashamed of it, and get familiar with how it feels to not be rejected and not feel the fear of rejection. Because if you go into a situation and we're expecting rejection yep. and we get it, that is just an exponential explosion of abandonment. Yes. So it's about practicing it, you know? Because if you go, like the first time I was vulnerable with my girlfriend, I didn't know how it was going to go, you know? I didn't know how she was going to react when I said, I'm really struggling right now. You know, how long did you things, together when you did that? Uh, we've been together three and a, just over three and a half years now. And I come from a history of very abusive relationships, being emotionally right. abused, physically abused, some very, very dark places. So I was very guarded around sharing myself with Joe. And how long had you been together when you decided to do that? Probably about six months. Right. I was already at an advanced stage there. And, like, and when I say advanced stage, it, you know, it sounds like I'm being a complete ass, but it's, <laughs> it's the only way to... Yeah, 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 you're along the journey. You know, and I said to her, like, and I always base it with how I'm feeling. And I said, I am feeling afraid in this relationship. I have been rejected in the past. And I fear that you will reject me if I tell you something that I'm afraid of. And I, you know, I took my responsibility of my, my emotions. Hmm. I owned up to what I was going to do. And then I just took the leap, you know, and it's, it's out of my control how she's going to react. So that takes no small amount of courage, but I was prepared. I guess it's I know like how I feel. a way of finding out whether you're in the right relationship or not as well, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's a risk, you know, yeah. and there's no surefire way 
that you're gonna be heard. But if you if you do the work and you find out what your values are, you'll find a woman who reciprocates that. Sorry, there's a fire alarm just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in the text. Someone someone <laughs> will take care of that. Sorry guys for the viewers. <laughs> That's all right. We had uh, my, my my one of the guys I was interviewing actually came around here to do it and he bought his little dog and I've got a giant dog and it was at that point that the patients <laughs> come and deliver stuff and yeah we had a bit of chaos yeah <laughs> so like yeah it is it's a, a something you have to practice so like i mean before i got involved with this i i, I was a will writer okay um so i've run a will writing company for, for i've been involved with will writing for 12 years um and i ran i ran a will writing company for the last sort of five years and I became very well known for that. Um, I had this character, Bad News Bow Hill, and, and, I, and I, I got really close to the line with, with how you can sort of express yourself in that industry. Because let's not forget, it was both legal and financial services. And yeah. so people were trusting me to do a very professional job. Um, also, a lot of my business was passing me through um, financial advisors and solicitors and, and stuff like that. So I was operating in a very professional environment. Um, and as I got better known as a speaker, I used to go out and do sort of more and more inspirational talks on, on sort of what I, the, the, the wisdom that I'd picked up over the years from speaking to people about such a, an, uh, an important moment, talking about their own death. Um, actually, you know, I had some fascinating conversations over the years. Um, but as I started on my journey of personal development and through hypnotherapy and stuff like that, I realized that because I was in this little box, I could not talk about some of my experiences. I couldn't be truthful. I couldn't show my vulnerability. I couldn't talk about the financial difficulties that I'd, I'd been through and some of the other stuff that I've done um, in my youth because of how um, it would have affected my, my business. And now I'm kind of out. I'm, I'm, well, I, still own, I still own the business, but this is my main, um, my, my main focus now. And, and part of that is that is I've, I've been standing up and talking about some, some of that stuff, which I wasn't able to do before. Mm. Um, and you're right. There's been zero negative response to that at all. It's been quite the opposite, you know, the messages and that, that you get, you're just like, Oh shit, for now, I always thought you had it all on the face of it. You always looked like you had it together. And, and if, in a way it, that doubles the power, doesn't it? When people look at someone like self or, or, or myself and, and we say, well, this, this is some of the, the things we've been through it allows and facilitates other people to do it as well doesn't it yeah because it That's hasn't really derailed cool. us you know it hasn't mm. damaged us to the point where we've veered off you know we're still yeah. there we've still, still got it all together it's a part of our personality and a part of our emotional makeup like i have no problem with sharing my past going through years of addiction where i literally mm. tried to destroy and murder all the goodness inside of me being homeless Right. Being an absolute bastard with stealing money, getting into debt, all the horrific things with self-harm, you know, they're all massive flaws, but I have no problem in sharing it so that there's context to what I do, that it brings a sense of power to where I am. Because I went through that journey and I built myself up to the man I am today. And sharing those, those imperfections in my past is, is not a risk to me. I very much see it as a positive, empowering journey. Okay, tell us a little bit. Give us a little, a, a sort of obviously a little condensed version of uh, of that journey because um, yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to to hear if you're happy to share it with us. Yeah, I'll share the greatest hits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so I, I grew up in a really, really normal family, but my emotions weren't encouraged. So right. I pushed all my emotions down. Um, I had my first mental breakdown when I was 13. Wow. From that, as a result of that, and uh, the beginnings of serious mental health problems, being it bipolar, depression, OCD, ADHD, all combined into a very young mind who didn't know how to process it, and neither did anyone else. So I was very, very isolated. And I pushed all these emotions down. I got sent to a, a mental institution. I stayed there. And then I reintroduced myself into society, but I still hadn't done the work. How old were you when, when that happened? I was, I was 13 when I got put into the mental, I was at boarding school. That all went yeah. horrifically wrong. Yeah. Would never send my kids to boarding school <laughs> whatsoever. Um, got sent to an institution in Manchester, spent an inpatient there for six months, uh, then four months outpatient. And then I kind of got released for want of a better word. But those emotions that I'd been pushing down were still there. And yeah. they were manifesting in anger and this loss of identity because I had no idea who I was. Mm. So I went to the nearest place that I could. And that was drugs. You know, a kid who takes drugs has a really clear identity. But I am an addict and yeah. I am an alcoholic. That means that I react in a very different way to taking narcotics because they filled in a void. You know, they, they kind of made this discomfort within me okay and i made a and i made a choice very early on that i will do whatever it takes to fill in this void and feel okay which just except i i spent 10 years in active addiction it started off really strongly i went off the rails very 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 quickly and was that I, at the um, age of 13 14 you, you started I was 15 way? yeah 15 yeah 15 the age of 17 i was homeless i was living on the streets i was uh, i was a monster i was an absolute monster in my so powerful were the emotions inside me that I didn't want to feel, which was shame, guilt, even hope, and the yeah. possibility that I could be a success, all terrified me. So I just ran the other way, and I ran into self-destruction. And, and that just continued. It just snowballed from drugs to alcohol to violence to crime to homelessness to yeah. horrific self-harm. And that just continued all the way until I was 28. And then finally, I got. I got huh? Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> I did, and uh, and I went into um, a mental health ward again because I was a danger to myself. Um, yeah. I've lots of like. I'll share this. I'll, I'll get vulnerable with you right now. Okay. I I got to the stage where I couldn't walk outside because I was so ashamed of myself. So I used to give myself paper cuts between my toes and fill my shoes with lemon juice and salt. Ah. That was the only way that I could bolster my self-confidence so that I could walk around and be with other people without feeling the shame. Because I just took all that anger and I was like, I am so effing angry right now. You have nothing on me. Mm. You know, and that was an incredible dark time in my life. And then I went to, you know, a few years after I went to rehab, I got clean. And I'm very lucky to be almost 10 years clean and sober. Congratulations, man. Good work. Thank you. Did so were there other people involved in your sort of rehabilitation? Were you, you know, when you went back to the 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 mental health um place when you were in your twenties and, and the and the rehab, was that through other people's interventions or was that something you took yourself? Um no, I got put into the into the ward. Um everyone knew I was in deep, deep trouble. I, I honestly think that give it a week or so I would have ended up dead. That was just simply, you know, I was as 
as mad as you could possibly be. Yeah. Um, it was my sister-in-law who was a psychotherapist. She said something needs to be done. Of course, my, my parents didn't know what needed to be done. So we phoned the doctor, who phoned the psychiatrist, who phoned the social worker, and they got me a place in this ward. And it was a detox ward, so they gave me uh, Librium, which is essentially Valium, yeah. which means that you can withdraw from alcohol without having a heart attack. Yep. Then I just stayed there, and it was good to be off the booze. And I made sure that I stayed there. You know, I, I fought to stay there because I didn't want to go back because I knew exactly where I would end up and I'd hit my rock bottom for that. I did not want to go back there. That was the first time that that inner light that I tried to murder throughout my life kicked in and yeah. I was willing to believe that there would be something different. And I followed that and I just, I was courageous and I showed up in every single group session in every single therapy session. I got incredibly vulnerable because it was a safe place yeah. and I owned that shame. You know, I'd say I did this. I feel ashamed. I feel guilty because of this. This makes me a horrible person. And that was a big risk to me because for all I knew people were going to come back and say, yes, you are, you are yeah. a horrible person, but they didn't. And they helped me restructure myself. And it was a 12 step rehab. So I went through the rooms of NA and NA yeah. for the first sort of three or four years. And then I went on a journey of developing self-knowledge. And that's really what changed my life. I had the foundation of AA. I had the spiritual foundation. Yep. And I just went on a fearless journey of self-discovery. And I've been through some incredible galvanizing moments. And it was one moment, which we probably don't have time to go into, but that's cool. Man. One moment, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the greatest hits again. I was on my own. I got triggered to a very deep and dark place. And my broke. My ego broke. My heart broke. It was physically painful. I was completely on my own for three months up in Norfolk. I had every single chance in that moment to drink, to take drugs, to self-harm, to kill myself, but I didn't. What I did do was I meditated fearlessly on that. I stayed in that pain and it was overwhelming, but I fought it and I stood against it and I owned myself in every single second and I faced every single dark, horrible, caustic, emotionally damaging emotion and I externalized it and I turned my life around. I honestly feel that I went to a place meditatively yeah. that was the origin of my first ever trauma. And it became this, this visualization. I, I entered this transcendental state where I saw myself on this plane of existence and there was all my demons facing me. And in that strange, white, plain, transcendental space, I shouted them down and I said, you do not have power over me anymore. And that was the moment where I knew that I had purpose, that I could help other people do that and move towards a life of meaning because nothing gives me more meaning than helping men face their demons. So you, you said you went, you went to Norfolk for, that, for three months on your own. Is again, was that like a sort of self-imposed idea that I just need to go there until it, until it's, until it's over, until I fixed it, until I've sorted. Well, I didn't know that it was going to happen. Yeah. I was just there because I'm also a metal worker. Right. I also run a, a metal work studio. I uh, run one-on-one -on -one retreats for men who want to yeah. go through something that is incredibly masculine, yeah. but also work on their emotions. And I went there to do metal work. 
you know, my, my partner went away to India for three months. My parent, my mum lived in Dubai at the moment. My dad was, was quite ill. Um, and I went there just to do metal work and to be at peace, essentially. Yeah. And it just happened there. So you've been through this process, you've faced down your demons. I mean, we do, I don't know if you've had any experience with timeline therapy at all, but it sounds like a, like a huge internal version of, of that, um, which is what we do is going back into your time to the first, first time that your unconscious mind feels that it experienced a negative emotion. Um, mm. And we kind of deal with it at that source. A fairly yeah. sort of similar philosophy. It sounds very similar. Yeah. Mm. Um, you took yourself there, um, which is which is pretty cool. So you've come I out of there. After... Anyone? I wouldn't recommend it. No, it's, no. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not... very much you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. But if you yeah. do the work prior, yeah, then you stack the odds against success or for success. Were you kind of like? Um, were you reading stuff at this point? Were you guided by anyone in particular? What gave you the idea to do this or how were you structuring the work you were doing to yourself or was it just, or was it just happening? Well, at the time when I was in Norfolk, yeah, uh, I was guided intuitively. Everything I do is guided intuitively. And so you've come, you come out of there three months later, having faced down your demons and stuff like that. Um, how then did you sort of pick, pick up the, the bit that, that's led you here as a sort of coach and, and stuff like that, Where, what sort of training and stuff like that have you done? Have you done anything? Like that? Yeah, um, I went down a psychotherapy route. Yep. I soon discovered that psychotherapy wasn't for me because I knew that I had to turn I, all the, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. Yeah, I swear, right? All right, okay. All, all the shit that I've been through, the mental health, the self-harm and the addiction, and then I knew I'd been through a process where I had accepted all of that and yep. overcome that. And I just wanted to find a way where I could use that gravitas to help other people. And I'd received a lot of therapy in my life, so I thought the psychotherapy would be a good way to go. Yeah. Uh, another bit of vulnerability for you, I'm not incredibly academic. Yeah, I couldn't do the course because it was overwhelming to me, and that's okay. You know, yeah. that's absolutely fine. My parents are super academics. Yep. Both my <laughs> brothers are, yeah. Both my brothers are super lawyers. Right. Yep. <laughs> so to, there was a lot of shame around that. Yep. But I overcame it. I was like, do you know what? I'm not them. I need to find something that I can do. And then coaching came along. I was like, coaching. I, I can help people really actively. And I don't have to do the vast amount of academia that comes from entering into a master level uh, course. So I went yep. down that. I've trained with Noble Manhattan, the third largest coach training company in the world. They're kind of, they're, they're kind of unknown, which is great, but they they are winning awards left, right, and center, and they are expanding like they are everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And um, so I trained with them. I did an elegant NLP practitioner course as well. I developed my Reiki course, yeah. uh, my stinging bowl therapy, um, and just combined all those. I was like, this is what I want to do, and. I'm going to find men who are struggling in their lives. They feel like they're in a bit of a stagnation period and I'm going to encourage them to be courageous and be the man that they've all, cause I was, there was this moment where I'd always dreamt of being this man who was strong, intimate, emotionally intelligent, able to connect with people and really at my core be fearless, but beautiful. And there was a moment when I was, I was just walking down the street and I just realized like, I am that man. It's cool, isn't it? 
yeah, it's amazing. I can help other men do that. And, and what I do is it's, it's simple on paper, taking men from a disempowered state where they feel isolated from masculinity. They don't necessarily know what their identity is, but they really like yes. the idea of being yeah. fearless and courageous and that warrior. And that's what I do. I just help them, help them to discover that. And then they take action based on that. And every single time it blows their minds. Every single time I've had, uh, I went to, I recently went to a BNI meeting, <laughs> right? That is way out of my comfort zone. Yeah. yeah. Right. I was in I, for four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> I own one suit. So yeah. there we go. Right. <laughs> so I went there and it was intimidating because there was a lot of these guys. They were very, they, they were kind of like what I perceived as what I fought against my entire life. So I was in there in a split second. I was like, okay, that my, my agenda is running the narrative that they are looking down on me. So I checked myself. I said, why am I here? I'm here to meet people. I'm here to make connections. So I showed up to my emotions. I went and I spoke to them. They're like, how are you doing? They said, well, actually, I feel a little bit intimidated right now because you guys represent a part that I haven't actually engaged with, but I want to engage with now. I didn't go any further than that. Did it go badly? Absolutely not. Did I make some friends? Absolutely. Were people surprised? Very much so. Yeah, I'm sure. You know? That's cool. So yeah, it sounds like, uh, uh, like I said, very, very similar journeys where yours has been a bit more, um, like where we come from and where I come from is that, that like, um, I haven't gone as, as, as far. So I've never suffered from anything. You know, I, I had this conversation again the other day with another uh, man coach recently i said i've never really suffered from depression or anything he said well you may not have been diagnosed of it but you know you, i was like yeah you know i've been to some dark places but i've always um i come from i'm fortunate enough to have sort of habits and, and strategies and and uh mental strategies that have always brought me back i call them my breadcrumbs <laughs> they've always brought me back to the path um yeah. when when life has got, got got tough and and i could have fallen down that rabbit hole um mm. and that's where i'm coming from with, with, with my stuff is talking about mental health is a little bit more you don't you don't have to you don't have to go down there if you if you open up be more vulnerable learn how to have those conversations empower yourself empower your your sort of confidence um and 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 install some other sort of life habits and we talk a lot about yeah. health and fitness i think it's really cool oh my god it is do you know what helps me with my depression more than anything is cardio running and swimming. running running right yeah i love running like i set myself a goal to run every day yeah. um and over the last three months it's just it's changed everything and i eat lots of dark green vegetables which also just for some reason I'm not sure about the science behind it, but the Popeye Iron Man. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> it, gives, it gives me some. It's almost like my spirit vegetable. Spinach is my yeah, my go-to man. Every morning I have spinach for breakfast. That's what I yes. love. Man. Yeah, <laughs> brings out the Popeye in me. Spinach in a run. Um, yeah, I'll be toy. I toy with all sorts of stuff. Like one, one of the sort of I, I the pivotal moments for me was um, getting back into combat sports and i sort of got into boxing six or seven years ago i saw uh, yeah yeah it's just that's just been so um powerful for me and i think something we miss out on as, as guys i think it's one of the rise i was talking to my boxing coach who interviewed me which is going to be episode one of this podcast 
Um, uh, he's a bit, got a bit younger than me, a professional boxer, been through his own stuff. But um, he got in, we were talking about Brazilian jiu-jitsu and like wrestling and them and how actually it's this is it's become so huge isn't it brazilian jiu-jitsu and i think mm. we as men kind of like detached ourselves from sort of having physical contact with each other mm. and all of a sudden in this day and age physical contact has been associated with uh, with sexuality for some weird reason like we're not allowed to we're not allowed to touch children. We're not allowed to touch other men. We're not allowed to touch women. If we touch anybody, it's, you know, we're in danger of it being sexualized. Um, which yeah, absolutely. Is bad, uh, people, which is just, um, people I've, become more and I've more detached. A, I've got a friend who works in a primary school and he's hmm. not allowed to help, help a child go to the toilet. Smart, isn't it? Like, what are we doing? What are we doing with that? What are we teaching our, our children? I, I, I listen, I've got a thing with kids. Like, I, I, even my kids notice it. And, and, and like, if I'm in a supermarket, little kids, they look at me. So I'm always smiling and stuff like that. Little kids always look at me and they kind of want to always come and talk to me. It's just something I've always had, yeah. even when I was a little kid. And, and I love that because I love little kids. I love kids, man. And, and like, I was in the supermarket and there's a kid that was lost, you know, and he was crying. And I went, my instinct is to go and pick him up. And I was like, you can't do that. Yeah. You just people can't. will automatically. There's um, yeah. There's this old comedy program called Brass Eye, which came out sort of early '90s, and it was sort of a, a parody of the panic around paedophilia, and yeah. it's and, and it was extreme, like ridiculous kind of comedy, um, very political, very on point. But that is the reality in some respects of where we are now yep. that, that you can't go into a supermarket because people think that you're a pedophile or a rapist, you know, which you're not, yeah. you no. know, you, you want to go and help, but people are going to ask you to justify yourself. Correct. For and that's, doing. that's worrying for kids, but it's also, yeah. I think what it's done for, for men is we've lost something about uh, physical contact with, with each yeah. other. Like you look at little boys, little boys, what they want to do is wrestle, right? They want to roll around on the floor of each other, like, you know, get each other in headlocks and, and stuff like that. They want to wrestle and they want to play. Um, and as at some point during that thing, we get told not to touch each other at the end of the day, hug, men hugging, you know, and all this stuff. And the only way you kind of get to do that, and I believe is real, real key to sort of team sports, things like rugby. Um, but now I think BJJ, part of the explosion of that is actually it's, uh, innately, we want to have non-sexual contact with other human beings. Absolutely. Um, wrestling, BJJ, boxing, sort of those sort of combat sports kind of like allow us to do that in quite in a, in a good masculine way as well. And, and have yeah, well, it's healthy, contact. isn't it? It's, yeah, it's it is healthy. healthy. It's really, really healthy. Um, and I, I just noticed as soon as I got involved in that that environment, that uh, that real kind of manly environment of the, of the boxing ring and the boxing club and punching each other in the face with a mate, um, you know, uh, kind of aggressively but friendly, and you get out of the ring and you give each other a hug, and you're just like, oh, yeah, that was, mate, oh, you got me with a good one. Um, it was such a, a, a cathartic experience yeah. for me, and allowed me to step into my confidence and and and, and, and my masculinity. And, and yeah, it's only recently I've been aware of that the physical contact playing a part of that. I'm so glad you said that because. I was I was interviewing a lady called Carla and she was talking about BJJ and she said what it does for me as a woman mm. is it allows me to be trusting with somebody else with in that, close yeah. physical yep. contact and it is incredibly intimate because you are listening you are sensing and you are hearing their body yep like once again it's another layer of vulnerability because you're not hiding yourself 
Correct. You're actively trusting them with your physicality. And as soon as all your physicality is engaged, as you said, you can afterwards you give a hug. Yep. You know, like in the metal workshop, when I'm working in an essential death trap, hitting things with a hammer and steel, it's incredibly yeah. masculine. I have to come but out yeah, and go that with you, mate. Yeah, <laughs> like I'll come out and I'll hug everyone and I'll pick wild flowers for my mum. You know, like, <laughs> I, I it, it. <laughs> there's no there's the physical engagement and the and and the uh, the challenge to that masculine environment comes afterwards. It's presenting it. It's like, yeah, I know I can do this. It's inherently masculine, but I'm not going to deny that it gives me the intimacy which I crave. It's like that little scene in uh, Rocky when he's running down the beach with Apollo Creed. It's, that's turned into a little a, a gif as well that I always see, and it's one of my favourites. I use it a lot. And they go running down the beach, but you like you don't, you can't get a more man movie than Rocky. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, and that friendship he builds up with Apollo, um, and they go sprinting down the beach in that bit of sort of friendly um, sort of competitiveness. And there's this thing of them jumping up and down in the waves, hugging each other. And it's like, that is so, it's so camp, do you know what I mean? But so masculine at the same time. Um, it's a really powerful moment. And it's been, uh, why, why it's, it's that sort of pivotal moment. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that kind of, like, kind of sums it up. I, I haven't met a man who doesn't want to do something like that. But the thing that stops them is what other people would think. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. get out of their heads. You're not God. You'll never know what other people are thinking. What do you want to do? And are you willing to do that? And be courageous. And they're like, is that Who what doesn't it is? want to run through the waves and have a big hug with Apollo Creed, man? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I ask the most masculine of men, they're like, I don't know how to be emotional. It's like, do you have a dog? Like, yeah. It's like, how are you with your dog? And I said, Well, you know, she's my baby and I love her and I play. And it says, There you go. That's your willingness to be open and intimate and loving. And they're like, Oh. Oh, I am doing that. You are doing that. Are you ashamed of doing that? No. So what's the difference? Well, other people are a risk. And it's like, what is the risk that they will think this of me? And it's like, you have no control over that. Do what makes you happy. Do what makes your heart sing. That is the confidence. That is the courage. Nice. I love it. Mate, thank you very much. I have to wind it up, but that's that's really yeah. cool. Speaking of I mean, I can talk to you all, all day, like, you know. Um, we'll have to carry on the conversation. Uh, well, you must come on my podcast. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I want to come and bash some metal with you as well, mate. We'll, we'll mate do we're in North Norfolk. Can you wanna, we, we have a river. You're more than welcome to run and jump. We can run and jump in our pants and Ooh. hug. Sounds and awesome. Say, I love you. That's always <laughs> good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> love you, man. Yeah, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. Um, so, yeah, just give yourself a little plug. Tell people where they can um, get in touch with you um how, how best to sort of carry on a conversation with you if that's that's what they want mm. to do i know uh your facebook group is is yeah very similar to mine it, it's cool we can get some people crossing over into both i think they probably yeah. take a little different angle but provide the similar sort of service. we could um we could run a like we we do round tables and we could get you know three of your guys three of our guys sounds and, like and have a, a discussion like i'm i'm an admin in the group so i'm quite i'm like high up but the guy that there was a guy who initially founded it he's devon richard morris so i wouldn't want to say that it's entirely my group ah, okay cool ignoring devon but I'm, I'm incredibly active within that group but if you want to come find me like yes i have a website and you can look at the website but really i want to have conversations with people so come find me on facebook and i'll give fidel my uh, my email which you can include in the show notes just send me a message and we talk 
that's the simple fact of it. Henry Johnson on Facebook and men helping men on Facebook. And that's it. Just come and speak to me and see who I am. Learn about what I do. Learn about the inner warrior technique, which I didn't get to talk about on this, but you can find out more about how you can access your inner warrior, which is a uh, super powerful. Oh, sounds big. Sounds big. I think one of the main things I want to take from this conversation as well and put out there in the industry, though, actually, is how it's really, really important. Because I've met a, a couple of other guys that are doing similar stuff. And I've been amazed at the sort of resistance to to sort of collaborate and all that sort of stuff, which really kind of upsets me a little bit. Yeah, man, um, I'm so all about collaboration. Really, really cool um, to speak to another guy like yourself um, who's doing similar work. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully we can we can do some stuff together. And help I as love many that. men as possible. Help as yeah, many. Yeah, we are... That's the game, isn't it? Separately, we are two voices together. We are a chorus. Yeah. For sure. Oh, I like that. Beautiful. <laughs> great. Thank you very much. Henry Johnson from The Inner Warrior. Um, great to speak to you. And um, yeah, more to come from you, I'm sure. <laughs>